Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Monergy Life. This is your host, Robert Fisher, and I am particularly pleased tonight to welcome someone who I consider to be a very special guest, Dr. Susan Gregg, the author of the book, The Toltec Way, A Guide to Personal Transformation. For those of my listeners not familiar with Dr. Gregg uh, or The Toltec Way, they may have heard of The Four Agreements, or Mastery of Love. These are books by Don Miguel Ruiz. And um, those books were bestsellers. And uh, Dr. Greg actually studied with Don Miguel uh, for, I believe, three years, about 20 years ago. Uh, Under under his tutelage, uh, she became very familiar with the principles of the Toltec tradition. And this is what her book is about. Uh, While we're waiting for her to call in, uh, I can just read some passages from the book, which, by the way, I let me give you guys the background as to uh, how I got this book. The book's a little hard to get. Um, It's not stocked in most bookstores, and I actually found out about it by... uh, reading The Mastery of Love, which was recommended to me about two or three months ago. And um, in the jacket of that book, they talk about some other books that were related to um, The Mastery of Love, and one of them was The Toltec Way, which I had to actually do a special order uh, to obtain. And uh, it was a book that was waiting for me when I came back to New York in the new year. And I'm so happy to to know that it was there because it's really been an incredible inspiration to me uh, since I got it. Now, I think there's Susan right now. Hello, Susan. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing great. I was just talking about you and your book while I was waiting for you to call in. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I was telling our listeners how I happened to find your book because it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I'm glad I get to listen. Yeah. Um, I guess it was the end of last year. Um, I was uh, in Miami, and I was having lunch with a friend, and we were just talking about things. And um, a friend of mine said, you've got to read this book called The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I had never really heard of it. I had heard of the four agreements, but not the mastery of love. And and I was having some issues in a relationship that I was in. So uh, one of my friends recommended that I buy that book. Mm -hmm. And the the next day, I had brunch with two friends. And one of them recommended that I bought that I buy the book, and it was just too coincidental. And I was right near a bookstore in Coconut Grove, Florida, and I walked with one of my friends to uh, to the bookstore, and there was one copy left of The Mastery of Love, which I bought. <laughs> so I thought it was meant for me. And uh, so I read that book, and I was very in- impacted by the book. And then in the jacket of the book, it talks about other books by, by Don Miguel and and there was some mention of um, um, of your book, but obliquely, and uh-huh. uh, and so I went um, I went to uh, Barnes and Noble and I tried to find your book and it wasn't in stock. They ordered it for me. This was the end of, of December, and when I and then I, I left New York again. When I came back, the book was waiting for me in the beginning of January, a present for the new year. Uh-huh. And I have to say. That that of uh, you know I, I've read a lot and as you know I've I've written a book about energy which you and I have talked about uh, just briefly, but your book the Toltec way has been 
thus far in my life, the most impactful book I've ever read when it comes to um, energy, when it comes to the way to live life. Um, I just think it's brilliant. I have to just come right out and say that. Thank you. Uh, and and so and, and so I, I just needed to get that out of the way because uh, that that's how strongly I feel about your book. Now, I, before we get into some of the meat and potatoes of your book, I'm just curious. You, you know, you talk about um, your um, your your. Um, I, I don't know. Is it fair to call it an apprenticeship with Don Miguel and his mother? Is that yeah. the right word? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, that would be good. Good description. And, we, and and that took place like in the late 1980s. Is that correct? Yeah, mid 1980s. To I got done, or um, they sent me on my way. Uh, I think it was in the end of 89, beginning of 90. So. Now, how did you come? What exactly do you think drew you to Don Miguel? Did he find you? Did you find him? I mean, was it serendipity, something like that? Well, I can't. It's one of those interesting stories. Um, I was living in Vermont, and a friend of mine had a like a gathering once a month. And um, I asked her if there was anything like that in California, and of course she must have thought, "God, this," you know. But anyway, she gave me the the name, address, and meeting time of a similar gathering in San Diego. And um, I drove cross country. I got there on I think a Thursday, and Saturday I bought the paper, and in the uh, listings for the church, there was a meeting, a church at the same address, different time, different name, but I thought, how many churches can be at the same address? So I went, and the woman that ran the um, church welcomed me like a long-lost daughter, and went about telling everybody I was a wonderful healer and a teacher, and I thought, mm, this woman's a little bit crutched, you know. And <laughs> But it was just, you know, I mean, it, having... You know, I'd spent two weeks traveling cross-country. I didn't know anybody in San Diego, and so it, w- it felt nice. So I went back the following week, and I think it was within two or three weeks of being there that she said, there's this woman you absolutely have to meet. And so she gave me the address and told me she'd meet me there one night. And um, it was in the barrio, not the best section of, of town. And uh, as always, she was late, and I'm pacing back and forth, and you know, I'm looking in the door, and there's this little closet with all these white coats, and I'm thinking, what am I getting into? And we went in, and she introduced me to um, Don Miguel's mom, Sister Sarita, and she did the same thing. She just got up and gave me a big hug, and it was like long-lost daughter. And uh, Sarita spoke no English. I spoke no Spanish, and I sat down, and everything was conducted in Spanish, and partway through, this little short Mexican dude came over and called me into the middle of the circle and motioned for me to do something and probably said something, but I didn't understand Spanish. So I kind of looked around, saw what everybody else was doing, did the same thing, and then sprinted to get back in my my chair. And before I sat down, he came over with a translator, and he asked me to become their student. And I was a math and physics major, so I was really shocked when out of my mouth came yes. And it Hmm. made no sense. You know, I didn't understand or at least, you know, at the level of language I didn't understand. So I said yes, and the following Saturday, you know, I showed up at the appropriate time, and um, I studied with him for um, four years. I don't know exactly, but anyway, and and basically I became uh, his shadow. You know, I would um, take jobs, and I'd tell him, well, I have to leave by, I think it was 11.30 or 12, and I would go down to the temple and, you know, some days he'd be there, some days not. But I would just, I just haunted them. You know, I mean, I just felt compelled almost to do that. And you know, I, to say that it changed my life would, of course, be an understatement. And uh, I could tell, was, I could tell, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it was just, it was wonderful. You know, and probably a year and a half into it, um, uh, Sarita turned the classes over to Miguel, and Miguel fairly rapidly learned English and. And I loved the way he spoke. You know, he would talk about people coming crazy. And, you know, he had, um, you know, just, he's an endearing, you know, I mean, he's a very lovable man. So I just really enjoyed um, the process of, you know, because he was a student when I started. So I got to see him go through his paces 
you know, at the same time that I did. So it was just, it was wonderful. Now, he was a student with his mother at the yeah. time? Yeah. And, and so, so, um, so you worked with both his mother and with him for, for that yeah. period. And could you give us some of the highlights of that three or four year apprenticeship? And by the way, were you the only apprentice working with him and the mom at the time? Um, it, no, I mean, there was other people, a lot of people came and, and went, you know, literally probably thousands of people. Um, there was a core group of, I never stopped to think how big, probably six or seven people that worked really closely with them at that point. And then the other people, you know, they, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't, don't want to tell an untruth, but I think we had classes like three or four nights a week. And periodically he would start a new class and he would have us, you know, apprentices help him teach the class. So um, there was others, but, you know, very small amount of people really stuck with, the, you know, stayed the course, so to speak. And could, And could you give us some ideas to what, was covered in the classes? What were some of the topics? Well, you know, it was about energy, and it was about, they never used the word Toltec the whole time I studied with them. It wasn't until the Four Agreements came out that I was like, oh, no wonder it felt a lot like, you know, a novel from, from Castaneda. And um, right. when I studied with them, it was interesting because he 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 very much taught from a place of fear, and it was very much like Castaneda kind of experiences, Don Juan, you know, Carlos Castaneda. And um, after he he finished training me, he went, he disappeared for a while, and when he came back, he was teaching from a place of love. And I had made a similar transition in in my own. Um, sharings of the teachings uh, we we talked a lot about energy and i think the most important part of the apprenticeship was sitting in a group meditating and just really being open to feeling whatever you know and, mm-hmm. and having sometimes really odd experiences you know, like i complained bitterly that i couldn't see anything in my my meditations and then the first time i saw something i for lack of a better description, it was a battlefield, and I mean, there was bloody body parts everywhere. And really, and that, yeah. And after that, I didn't complain about not seeing things. You know, um, when you when you say seeing things, you mean visualizing them, like these images would come in your in your mind when you were meditating, or these were like literally in front of you. Uh, it was literally you, a lot of times. It was literally in front of you. You know, I mean, really. And it, it, it was very, very. I guess the words that I could use is it was very interesting, you know. And and if you've ever sat in a group and meditated, to me it's very different than uh, sitting by myself. You know, I'm very yes, different. I have done both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so a lot of the teachings were, you know, experiencing energy. Um, obviously, he he talked a great deal about um, uh, the nature of physical reality, I guess. My first book, Dance of Power, I um, that came out about the same time, maybe a little bit earlier than the Four Agreements, and I share the teachings. He talks about uh, our energy body being in the shape of an egg, and he talks about different, or he talked about different levels of energy. You know, there's ultimately... What we are is we're a spiritual being inside a physical body. And, I totally agree with that. Yeah, and experiencing that. I mean, we can have that belief. We can have that, you know, we can say, yeah, I'm a spiritual being inside a physical body. But a lot of the work that I did with him was about literally coming to experience that. You know, he would tell me, you know, we, we would go for walks and... um I never knew what we were going to do any given afternoon when I would show up. But I remember this one time we went to the park in Mission Bay, and we're walking along, and it's, you know, it's there's water. I mean, it's ocean water, but, you know, it's in the bay, so it's it's pretty calm. And it was getting towards the end of the day, and he would say things to me like, okay, go climb that tree. And so I would climb the tree, and he wouldn't give me any, and then he would say, and, and look at the water. 
and so I would look at the water and I would do that and you know I can remember having a really intense experience that day and then I looked up and here's Miguel you know like on the way on the other side of the bay you know and so I'd scamper down the tree and I'd go over and his English was minimal and that was an incredible gift because I'd want to ask him 59 questions about my experience and what he would do is just smile and keep on walking and huh. you know I, I it was wonderful because it definitely kept me out of my mind you know it had to it it, it was energy energy experiences so a lot of it was out in nature um and then uh, at that point his mom was very well known as a healer in southern california and so um a fair amount of it was working in the temple um assisting her you know and <laughs> first time i i assisted her it was a riot cuz I, I knew no no spanish and she asked me for a wavel and i didn't know what a wavel was and she held her hand up in an oval shape and so literally i must have brought her everything that was oval shaped in the <laughs> in the temple and finally the 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 healing rooms there were only partitions that went up maybe five and a half feet and finally i hear this voice come over the 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 top of the wall saying she wants an egg and i know where they kept flats of eggs i <laughs> went running upstairs and gave her an egg and she used to use eggs in her healings a lot you know and right and so it, it, was, it was always a very interesting experience, and, and God bless her. I mean, she had patience with me because, you know, here I, I don't speak any English, and she's 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 trying to teach me, you know. And so right. It, it was just, it was wonderful. I mean, the, the love that I experienced um, studying with Sarita and Miguel were just, was just amazing. You know, and, and then... Um, you know, beginning to, uh, I call it um, our filter system, you know, beginning to understand right. our beliefs, our agreements, our assumptions, our attitudes, that's what we experience. We don't experience physical reality. We experience those first. And as we learn to change those, uh, our experience of reality changes immensely. You know, right, I know because you talk about that in the book, and I have many questions about certain parts of your book, which we'll get to. I want to just briefly talk about some of the healing experiences you witnessed when you were working with Serena. You talked uh-huh. about it briefly in your book. Did you really experience firsthand amazing healing that she was able to accomplish? Yeah, I mean, one time somebody came in with a really badly infected um, ankle. Yeah, I mean, really badly infected. And she worked on it for a while, and literally, you know how infected areas will look all red and red and pussy and stuff. Mm-hmm. It didn't after she got done working with it, and it's not like she physically went in there and cleaned out the wound. She just did energy work and used the egg, and I just, you know, I was totally awestruck by that. And then I had an actual experience with them working on me. I, I um picked up a five-gallon bottle of water, and Uh when I I was younger, I had a lot of problems lower back, and I picked it up, I just, I mean, I blew out my back big time, and I went to the chiropractors, you know, I went to massage everything, nothing worked, so finally I went down, and it was really funny, because they used to talk about it in terms of psychic surgery, so... I remember, remember, I think it was Miguel, did psychic surgery on my back, you know, and I'm like, yeah, right, psychic surgery. But, And I went, I got off the table, and I didn't have pain. It was just a little bit stiff, and I was, you know, incredibly grateful. And then he told me to come back in a week to have the stitches taken out. And, you know, I was kind of okay with the idea of psychic surgery, but psychic stitches, it was like, oh, come now. And my back, the pain didn't return but the stiffness stayed and i went back a week later and he was you know he was working with other people with the healing and he said to him okay take the stitches out you know and she had the same experience i did you know he'd tell you to do something and it's like can i really do that and he was like yeah you can really do that and so she did some work on my back and quote unquote took the stitches out and i got off the table and the stiffness was gone so i was like okay so, you know, and it was just amazing because anybody had back problems to go from a point of, you know, and I, actually the chiropractor told me that I had blown a couple of discs out, you know, and, and um, 
so to go from that to no pain and just stiff, and then mm-hmm. the no pain, uh, totally flexible. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was pretty well, amazing. Right. Well, you, I'm sure you're fami- familiar with Eckhart Tolle and the Power of Now. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. read that. Uh, there's a part in his book where he talks about the the, the pain body, and I'm, I'm not quoting him verbatim. I'm just loosely quoting him when he said that all pain is an illusion. And I and when I first read that, I wasn't quite sure what he meant, but that was about five years ago when I read that book. Uh-huh. And if you believe that all of our physical reality is an illusion of sorts, then that includes pain. That includes uh-huh. so-called physical ailments. Yeah. So once you can wrap your mind around that and once that becomes part of your belief system, the idea that someone could perform psychic surgery on you makes perfect sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because... The, what we consider to be a physical problem is probably it not what we it's not a solid physical problem that needs a doctor to surgically operate on necessarily. It could be completely emotionally based. And if you release the emotional underpinnings for any physical ailment, the physical ailment may very well disappear. Mhm. Yeah, well physical reality is 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 not solid as we perceive it. You know, right. it's just all energy and you know at one of the things that I find fascinating, you know, like watch a baby, you know, and the doctors will tell you their eyes don't focus when they're first born. Um, my experience with babies is what they do is they focus on our ener- the energy body, you know, our energy system, much more interesting than the plain old solid physical body. And we learn over time to, oh, yeah, i got to focus my attention on the physical body, you know, and and we solidify the energy, you know, and everything, absolutely everything, nothing is solid, you know, and right. if when we're able to really get that, we can experience, you know, our hand going through something that before we thought was solid, you know, so it, right. it, it's just amazing what happens as we change our filter system, I mean, all of that changes, you know. I totally agree with you, and um, you know I find it I find it so interesting because I've come to sort of the same conclusions as you did. One of the things I've been writing about in my blog and thinking about over the last six months to a year is the holographic theory of existence, which you basically cover in your book, but you don't call it that. You know, you basically uh-huh. talk you basically talk about the fact that. Everything what we consider to be out there is really our own projections, and we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna quote, and that's really the holographic theory of existence, that that everything is is a projection of our own mind, what we consider to be our physical reality. And before reading your book, I would say that I I had accepted the holographic theory about 97 percent, you know, because I've been like aware of it for about a year, and I've been sort of it's taken me a while to wrap my mind around that to mm-hmm. play around with it. But after reading your book, I was at 100%. Like, I completely get it, and I completely understand how that's true. But for a lot of people who haven't started that journey to understand and accept it, it's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, in fact, I was talking with somebody yesterday about this, and this woman is a pretty spiritually evolved person, and she was talking about some um, lecture she went to where this guy talked about how concerned he was with, you know, how our culture has deteriorated in this country and people's behavior, blah, blah, blah. And she asked me if I'm concerned about that. I said, not in the least. And she was quite taken aback by that. (laughs) I, I said... I said it's really not part of my holographic reality. Mm-hmm. I know these, you know, I know these events exist. It's not like I'm locked in a room somewhere and I don't know there are shootings in schools, but I'm not appalled by it. As a matter of fact, I think it's perfect. It's because I think the because I think the universe is perfect and everyone is exactly where they should be at this moment. And there was a pause in the conversation when I said that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. <laughs> Because she said to me, wow, you've really given me a lot to think about. I said, well, possibly. But, um, you know, for a lot of people, all the external events are what concerns them. But but those external events 
the way I look at it is, let's say, a school shooting in Massachusetts or in Connecticut, whatever, it's something that's happening, but it's sort of like, I make I make the analogy to a back burner. It's happening on the back burner. It's not really in your reality, if you know what I mean. And 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 you know, so but based on what you've written in your book and in terms of the holographic theory, did we project that being on the news? Is that how you know, can we go that far to say that? You know what I mean? That that was a part of our mind that created that, that now it's in our consciousness because we projected it. You know, um, it, it, it's, it's so interesting because, mm-hmm. what, you know, there are so many nuances to this, but, but fundamentally to, to accept that fact, that, and I'll quote directly from your book, there is no out there, everything is your own projection. I mean, how do you explain that to people who are so focused on the news and on external reality? How would you explain that to people? Um, well... Somebody that doesn't really understand it or isn't willing to wouldn't show up in my reality. You know, I mean that's that's okay. Uh, that's a that's a good answer. And um, how I explain it to people, you know, I mean, it, I kind of sneak up on it, uh, and it depends. Sometimes I hit, you know, I use a big hammer. Sometimes, right. you know, a little feather. But um, well, you're, I have to say, Susan, you're very gentle in your book in the way mm-hmm. you describe it, and you sort of ease people into it. Yeah, and, and that's what I usually do because you know, it, it, you know, like if somebody comes to me and they've just experienced being mugged or raped or something like that, I'm certainly not going to say to them, "Okay, this is a perfect experience, and you create your reality." Right, right. That would be cruel. That would be cruel. Yeah, but if somebody has that has had that happen and they choose to work with me, you know, I would facilitate them letting go of some of the fear and and the emotional junk, you know, and then, you know, really getting to the point where they really, really love and accept themselves, and then, okay, let's look at this from a different perspective. You know, when I was a child, I was um, abducted by two young boys and molested, and, you know, for a long time, I carried that, and then, you know, knowing what I know or teaching what I teach, it was like, that was an absolutely perfect experience, and... Right. They didn't do anything wrong because there is no right or wrong. You know, they just right. did what they knew. And it was really funny when I really got to that point and I really released it emotionally and it was like, oh, wow, this was my creation. And there was part of me but that let, was let, like, let me just, oh, my let me God, just, I turned them into child molesters. In no, no, and that's where people misunderstand it because they think you might be trying to get them to feel blameworthy or guilty over the situation, which is not yeah. the case at all. That's not at all what you're driving at. And you make that clear in the book. But that's the danger when you deal with the subject that people are going to say, what do you mean I caused it? What do you mean yeah. I caused that car accident? What do you mean I caused that physical problem I've had my whole life? Right? So, right. you know. You know, it's very, it's a delicate, it's sort of a delicate, nuanced thing that we're talking about because it's all energy. It's looking at it, it, in a way, it's challenging people to move out of their heads and experience Mm -hmm. this on on a different level because logically it doesn't make sense. It makes sense when you feel it, when you could be, you know what I mean? That's how you, I think you get, you get entry to this acceptance of this idea. Yeah, and I and I talk about a basic shift in our paradigm. The the paradigm of society is pretty much domination, right and wrong, right, you know, better right. than less than climbing the corporate ladder. And I talk about dominion, which if you look it up in the dictionary, what I'm talking about in the dictionary don't mesh. But in dominion, I think of it symbolically like a sphere, and we stand on different places in the sphere, and hence we have a different experience. You know, like the murderer. That from their point on the sphere, their only choice was to kill somebody. And, you know, you move over a little bit and it's like, hey, dude, you had a lot of options. But from his point of perspective, he didn't. And there's no right or wrong. It's just standing on different places of the sphere. And as we change our inner dialogue, as we change our, our filter system, we change where we're standing. And so different experiences, you know, and and we can have love and compassion without judgment for everybody's choices, you know, we can, you know, 
I don't know if we necessarily are going to jump up and down and celebrate some of those choices, but we can realize, you know, different choices, different experiences. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, and, you know, I, I, there's a part of your book at the end, um, it addresses uh, what we were talking about just a few moments ago, and you say we realize that no one did anything to us in the first place, so we don't have anything or anyone to forgive. And you say getting to that point is akin to achieving enlightenment, so until we get there, forgiveness is a very useful tool. You know, it's sort of reading your book, all these light bulbs were going off in my mind. Uh You know, I just think that's just such a beautiful place to be, to mm-hmm. realize that nobody actually harmed us or did us any wrong. Because, you know, the the common experience with people is when you meet them, in general, of course, there are exceptions, that people in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes when you first meet someone, they tell you their whole life story through that limited filter system, and very often it includes all these tragedies that happen to them. Mm-hmm. They want you to know because they're carrying this around, and for them it's a self-definition, you know, it will explain their life, it's their life story. And i got to tell you, I mean, I was moving in this direction before I read your book, but i got to tell you, I don't feel any obligation to tell my life story to anybody now when I meet them. I can, you know, I can just be in the moment, present, and enjoy what's available to me. I don't have to justify it or explain it away by what happened to me 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it is such an incredibly freeing feeling to be able to do that, I have to tell you. It is. I mean, the more often, what it is is it's moving into love. And the more often we're standing in a place of love, I mean, the world is magnificent. It absolutely is. You know, and when I stand in a place of love, you know, I have one experience. When I move into a place of judgment and fear, I have a different experience. And right. you know, it, and I think the gift of life is is we get to practice. You know, we have an experience, and it's really emotionally rich, and we get hooked, and we go for a ride on it until we go, oh, okay, this is getting old. And then we can make choices to get back into a place of love. And, you know, it's just life. One of the ways I look at life is it's just an incredible amusement park. And when I was a kid, I used to hate the height limits because I was always tiny and I couldn't go on the rides I wanted to go on. So mm-hmm. it's an amazing uh, amusement park, and there's no limits. You know, you can go on any of the rides. And if right. you get tossed around and knocked around, you, know, you can choose not to go on that ride next time. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, it's so it's so interesting. I think it really comes down to our choice, our free will, as if you uh-huh. will, that we have to live in a situation coming from love or coming from fear. And in the times that we're living in, there's a lot of um, a lot of pressure on people to, to be in the fear mode and, you know, afraid of any number of things happening. And, you know, it, it, to be able to move into this place of love and to approach the world from that point is, you know, I would only call it beyond priceless. You know those MasterCard commercials they have? Yeah. They have these experiences and something is priceless. I would say to be in that place of love in your everyday life and experience life that way, it's beyond priceless. There's no price that yeah. you could you could attach to it because it's such a feeling of personal freedom and that, you know, you just shine in a way for yourself and everyone that you encounter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and I, I mean, uh, Jesus said something about turn the other cheek and what I think he really meant by that is see this from a different perspective. We have fear, we have love. If we choose, we can see it through the eyes of love. If not, we can see it through the eyes of fear. And, you know, fear is juicy, but after a while it gets old, you know. And the, when we see, you know, like, um, I remember when we invaded Iraq, I, I worked with this uh, Hawaiian woman, and we were contacted to do a... Um, you know, do a ceremony against the war. And I was glad that, uh, I call her auntie, that she got the call and she said no. And the people were absolutely shocked. She said no. She said no, we'll do a a ceremony for peace and love, but we're not going to feed, you know, the war. Being against anything uh, is counterintuitive when you're choosing love. Because as soon as you're against something, you, you, you know, it's just, that energy just 
doesn't get you where you want to go. You know, it's like putting your car in reverse. And I remember when I was a kid, we had a Volkswagen van, and we were at the post office, and my mother was right against the telephone pole and didn't realize it. And she put the car in reverse, and she's like jamming the and and just like, what the hell's the matter with this car? And she's hitting the accelerator, and she wasn't going to go anyplace because she was right smack up against the telephone pole, you know. And and when we're against something, that's what we do energetically. Whereas, you know, if you embrace what it is that you want more of, I mean, the people that are against war, what they think they want is peace, but being against war stops them from experiencing peace. Yeah. You mean within themselves? Within themselves, yeah. yeah and, then, and, that, and, and in yeah. effect, that's the only reality that counts, isn't it? Yeah, because, you know, if you're running around against something, you know, it's like you're vibrating... You know, it's like a little light bulb. Okay, let's create war. Let's fight this. Let's fight that. Whereas when we just surrender into the essence of who and what we are, which is love, uh, we can create a totally different experience. I totally agree. I'd like to talk for a few moments about a couple of things. First of all, what are some, uh, some principles of energy that you could share with us that you learned from your apprenticeship and since then? Things that might be helpful to people in their in their lives today. What did you learn about energy? What strikes you as being really, really important that you would like people to know about it? Well, energy is always in motion. You know, it's never stagnant. It's either expanding or contracting. And if you pay attention to your emotions and your experience, you'll find that love expands. You know, and it's all inclusive. Fear contracts. And so, you know, literally beginning to feel our body, you know, not the emotions and stuff, but feel what's going on in our body. And our breath is just a powerful way to work with energy, you know. And uh, breathe in, you know, our lungs expand, breathe out, they contract. And so when we realize that energy is always moving and we can get on the train that's expanding and the one that's contracting, I think it helps to think about the world that way and notice, you know, it you read the uh, the newspaper, and um, one of the things I love about my Hawaiian uh, friend is she says, you know, aloha is the energy of love. And she says, when I read the paper, you know, there's just some articles that need more aloha. And right. So one of the things that we can realize in our lives is we can either expand, send love to something, or we can contract you know, do judgment and fear. And so when, you know, a simple practice, when you watch the news, instead of going into a place of contraction, it just literally send love to the people in that situation, you know, like mm-hmm. school right. shooting. Or, or not watch it, the news at all, right? That's a choice, too. Well, you can do that. But, you know, I find that, uh, generally speaking, people don't watch the news because from a place of fear. You know, um, you know, because they don't like the images, they don't like what they're seeing. I mean, we can certainly choose not to watch the news, but it's important to notice where we're making that choice from. No, absolutely. But what about um, with uh, not only the news? I know for myself, um, I get the news on my homepage on the computer, so I know what's going on. But I don't particularly like to watch the graphic details of any. A horrific situation for many reasons, but I, I don't think it's coming from fear. I just think I I learned enough about what's going on. I don't want it to impact my world. You know what I mean, and make and make me afraid. That's one of the reasons I don't I don't like those images. And it's for the same reason that I might want to stay away from people that are vibrating negatively. Mm-hmm. Now. I can send them love from a distance, but when I'm forced to be around them, I have a very sensitive energy field, and I don't want their energy permeating mine. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, nothing can be done to us. And and so if we are avoiding certain people because we perceive them as negative, where does that perception come from? You know, that comes, obviously, it comes from something within us. And right. we can look at somebody and we can literally perceive their, you know, what they're sending out in a negative sense. Or we can look at them and realize that they're a spiritual being inside there. And, yeah, they might have some peculiar belief systems, but what they are is love at the essence, you know. And 
once I started making that shift, because that's a question I get a lot, you know, what do you do about negative people? And right. one of the things I say is, well, I don't have them in my world. And I don't, you know. And, and part of how that happened was I shifted my perspective. And so, you know, thinking of somebody as positive or negative is not particularly part of my um, thought process. And okay. And just by changing me, I've changed who I attract. Right, but in a sense, you got to the same place as I did by choosing not to be around those people, in a way. Because I understand what you're saying, but in in effect, you got to this, the the destination is the same. You're not Uh attracting those people because you're not vibrating that way. Um, But you know, it, but but what if? So, are you saying that you would only attract those people if you yourself were vibrating negatively? Well, there's a part. You know, I mean, it, it's like a magnet. You know, north and south, right. south pole. You know, they attract one another. And right, the idea that, and, and we could talk for hours just about the idea of negative people and and that kind of stuff. It's the more I choose to see the world from a place of love, I, I see some people that are choosing limitations for themselves, and I see mm-hmm. people that are uh, attempting to move towards greater and greater love. And mm-hmm. so, you know, instead of negative people and positive people, you know, it's like some people just need more love. And right. so that would be how I would perceive people that in the past I might have thought of as negative. Right, so but I, in a sense, but you're not spending time with those people because according to you, you're not attracting them anymore. So they're not in your world. Uh-huh. And if somebody shows up, I mean, I assume that you work with people as a coach or something. Yes? Right. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody didn't have something, quote-unquote, negative going on in their filter system, there would be no need for you and I. Right. Uh, so, in a sense, we have to attract people that are on a path towards something. Or Right. So, you know, I mean, it, it's all a matter of degrees. One could look at those people and think, oh, negative people. Or one could just realize that, oh, this is somebody that I could help. You know, this is somebody that I could, yeah. you know, I, I could invite them to move towards greater and greater love. Right, and, right, right. And, and so, you know... You know, like I, I was actually noticing it the other day. I, I just recently I had my knee replaced, so I'm not able to drive yet. And um, I was out, you know, out and about. Somebody had given me a ride into town. And people smile at me all the time, you know. And people that I think generally wear a frown have a tendency to smile at me. That's and I great. was noticing that the other day. And I haven't been out much because, you know, I don't ask people for rides much. And, um, I was just noticing all these people, and there was part of me like, you know, what's up with this all the smiling thing? And then, you know, I realized that, you know, they perceive my energy of love or whatever. And so I, and you know, I was in some stores where, you know, I I I could perceive that there was a lot of people that were having negative experiences in their lives that I could perceive as negative. But since I'm walking around in my, you know, I'm just happy to be out and walking around because. You know, I mean, that's part of the process of this healing. And so mm-hmm. I think people respond to me differently. So even somebody that I think in the past I might have perceived as negative would respond to me from a place of love, so I wouldn't experience them as negative anyway. Yeah. You know, I, I also have very similar experiences to what you um uh, described. Uh, I'm in New York City right now, and in the course uh-huh. of run, running errands during the day, I'm, I live in Manhattan, and um, I'm amazed as to how kind people are to me. It, but they go out of their way to be kind to me. If I go and have lunch somewhere, I mean, they're always giving me extra food <laughs> like, uh-huh. yeah, you know, I, that I don't ask for. And, you know, uh-huh. so, so kind that I'm totally overwhelmed. Uh-huh. You know, and I think it's also for the same reason because I walk around pretty happy. You know, I'm uh-huh. not walking around in a negative place. And when I was talking about 
let me let me just qualify something. I don't believe anyone is totally negative or positive. It's just that people mm-hmm. sometimes vibrate in a negative on a negative frequency. That's all. We we all do at times. I was really referring to that. I think everybody has and that's another topic that we could probably talk about for hours, the balance between good and evil in the universe and how that yeah. operates. You know, it's yeah. it's also, See, I don't believe in good and evil. You don't, really. Not at all. No, not at all. Uh, that was, you know, the the shift in the paradigm. Uh, in the paradigm of domination, yeah, there's good and evil. In the paradigm of dominion, there's just what it is. You know, and like right. in the Course in Miracles, they say that, you know, uh, choice, love, and fear, and fear is an illusion. So evil is an illusion. Uh Yes, I I I agree with that. And if we had people who survived the Holocaust with us in, in either of our homes right now, they might beg to differ with you, probably. But I understand what you're saying. I've read books of people that have survived the Holocaust, and they've expressed that it was one of the most powerful, transformative experiences of their lives. Yeah, right. uh, Neil Diamond Walsh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy that wrote Conversations with God. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book, um, Even Hitler Goes to Heaven, and the publishing industry wouldn't even touch it because of the title. Right. You know, and Hitler was a spiritual being just like us, and he wasn't evil. He just had a filter system that was particularly odd. I right. Don't know if I, I don't know if I talk about it in a Toltec way, but I know I did in one of my books. Um, I look at the World War II as an opportunity we had as a species to look at, wow, look at what judgment does. Look at what happens when we view the world from a place of domination, good and evil, right and wrong. Yes, And yes. that's what created the Holocaust. And we had an opportunity at that point to shift our paradigm. And um, we didn't. What we did is the same thing that the, the Nazis did. You know, we judged everybody as bad and, well, not everybody, but we judged a lot of people as bad and wrong and, Right, like the communists, all the communists after the war. Yeah, we yeah we put them to death and stuff like that, and so mm-hmm. you know, and and we continue, you know. Now it's the yeah. Muslims against the the Christians, and right, right. I I, I I I kind of agree with you about that. Um, uh, you know, those those are illusions without without question, and. Um, uh, it's, it's 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 just very very interesting. Uh, I'm sorry, uh-huh. you were about to, you were about to say something. Oh, that's okay. It's it's gone now. But oh, okay. you know, I mean, I think that the biggest gift we can give ourselves, you know, energetically, is if we really think about, okay, now if this is a world of good and evil, what does that feel like? And one of the most profound decisions I ever made for myself was: is this a hostile universe or a loving one? Right. And, you know, at one level, you look around and it's like, it's a pretty hostile, scary place, you know. But at the level of when what I really am, which is a spiritual being, I'm infinite and eternal, so can't, nothing can impact me. I go on forever and I have yes. the opportunity to yes. continue. I love that. So, yeah, so it's a, a loving universe. And right. then if I begin to apply that to all areas of my life, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. I, in the few, believe it or not, we're almost at the end of our hour. In the few moments to the left, I want. I, I, I mean, we're not going to have time to go over the quotes that I wanted to ask you about in your book, and there were so many things that were important to me. But I do want to ask you this: Do you believe then that um, every so-called physical ailment is entirely self-generated by our minds and can be reversed by our minds using the right energy? I think so. You know, I think some, you know, I mean, it takes changing our filter system at a profound level, and it's doable. You know, I mean, like I said, I just recently had a a knee replaced, and um, I'm just amazed, as is my physical therapist and my um, surgeon, because I decided that the healing process was going to be easy and effortless. And um, I'm doing things now, and I think I'm only five or six weeks post-op, that it usually takes at least three months. You know, so, um, it, it, you know, to me it just amazes me because my, my closest friend had a knee replaced, and I watched her go through her her paces, you know. And so we have the ability to really uh, affect our 
physicality in a, in a profound way. And it's really, really important not to judge. You know, like I had a, a, several friends that have died of breast cancer, and one of them was just adamant that she was going to heal. You know, she was right. going to heal and consequently judged herself fairly harshly because that just wasn't part of her journey this lifetime. You know, part right. of it was just having the experience. And, and in the end, it was really beautiful because all these people gathered around her to care for her. And so dying of breast cancer was just an incredibly powerful experience. And we could go to a place of, you know, well, she could have healed it. What was wrong with her that she didn't heal it? And she wasn't right. a healer herself. Wow, very yes. interesting, very interesting. Yes, we can, but, and we always have to put the caveat in there that uh, not to judge anything, you know. So you felt that her healing was impeded by the fact she was too self-critical about it and just, uh, uh, you know, had had the wrong energy applied to it or something? Well, that was part of it. You know, I mean, she was she was very judgmental or fearful of the idea of dying of from ah. And so as long as she had that going on, you know, it was the antithesis of healing because a part of healing yeah. is surrendering fully to what is and then deciding yes. to create another is. You know, and I, totally I think... Have. Yeah, go ahead. And I think her dying of breast cancer was absolutely perfect because it gave her the most amazing experience of letting people care for her. You know, and... and you know, I knew that there's a church in Honolulu that's dedicated to people don't ever want to die. They want to keep their physical body forever. And, I of course, my, my thought is, is you know, I love getting new clothes. I'm looking forward to a new body. You know, and, and <laughs> their, their whole thing was, you know, that you don't have to ever die. And I agree. And I think, you know, getting a new body every 80 years or 200 years or whatever you want is a wonderful idea, you know. I, right. I don't like wearing the same clothes forever, you know. Right. So, yeah. It's, it's Our mind totally, is very powerful. Very powerful. It's it's really really amazing, and the energy that gets generated. Um, uh-huh. And it's and it's also amazing what happens when you get out of your way and out of your mind and allow other things to take over too. Uh-huh. That that surrendering to the moment, which I think you can experience incredible power when you do that. Yeah, I mean, I think of it as shifting our point of creation from our mind to our spirit. And our spirit well, is limitless. You know, and our, our mind is filled with limitations. So as we shift our, our perspective or our point of creation, it's just everything changes. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And uh, it's, really a, it's really an amazing time that we're living in, and I think it was probably always amazing to be alive at every uh-huh. time. And um, what's your take on the passage of time? I know for me, a while back, I stopped thinking of time in a linear sense because uh-huh. I experience things out of sequence all the time now. Like I'll uh-huh. replay an event from the past or I'm very intuitive and a lot of times I can anticipate what's going to happen in the future and I can be in the future. And I no longer think of things as linear in terms of time. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think the best description of time I've ever heard uh, was uh, by Jane Roberts. She channeled an entity called Seth, and um, she started doing that like in the 70s, I think. And uh, she described time like a um, comb. You know, there's there's all these teeth to a comb, and, and it, the totality is the comb, you know, and so time-wise, we can we can I don't even know what you call those little things, but you know we can we can experience time linear, linearly, or we can we can just hop from one little pokey yeah. thing on the brush to I think another. Called, I think they're called teeth. The teeth. teeth. The yeah, that's right. So we we can we can experience one tooth or the other, you know. And right. yeah, time isn't linear. I mean, that's just a construct of our of our brain, you know. Right. It's just a limitation. I don't think it is either. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've been finding that fascinating to go back and forth and you know swing around and um, you know it's 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 all so fascinating and you know especially like what we talked about a few moments in terms of um, you know reversing so-called physical ailments which if mm-hmm. they're t- you know if they really are a figment of our creation they should be reversible mm-hmm. um, you know what that holds for the future of medicine is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, 
once people can can uh, let go of their limiting filter systems and embrace this, it's uh-huh. th- their own healing power is incredible. I mean, uh, you know, I experienced something similar to you um, in terms of healing from something incredibly fast. That you know, uh, because and it's funny. Once I, for me, I don't believe in accidents. I don't think there are any, and uh, I think everything is. You know, I when I look back at all the so-called car accidents I had as a kid, particularly as a teenager in my early 20s, I realized that I caused all those accidents. I don't mean in a blaming sense. I mean my uh-huh. energy, my emotions were intense and I was unsettled. And, and when I look back, it was a huge emotional component, component to every so-called accident. And I concluded uh-huh. that they were, there, were, there were no accidents. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it, there's a perfection to what is, and and you know, we are the creators, you know, and and we can recreate, we can change, we can. Um, one of the things when uh, Jane Roberts was talking about time, at, at each moment we make choices, you know, and it, we might have chose to have a healthy breakfast this morning and then not healthy, and yes. at that moment our life splits, and each time we make a decision, there's another us, which, you know, if you think about how many choices you've made until this point in your life, it's kind of mind-boggling. And right. so there's all these us's existing and having different experiences, and we just happen to be focusing our attention on this particular is. And when I think about that, I mean, it makes my brain hurt, but you could also see the power. It's like, okay, on this line, timeline, maybe I created clogged arteries and a heart attack. And I look down that line and I go, hmm, that doesn't seem like a very fun way to end it. So I make other choices and I have healthy breakfasts and healthy meals and I don't wind up with clogged arteries and I have a different experience. But all of the, you know, my spirit is having all of those experiences simultaneously. And then you throw in past lives and future lives, and you can really make your brain hurt, you know. Right, right. They're all happening at the same time. So I think the best we can do uh, as spiritual bodies temporarily housed in our physical bodies is to enjoy the moments to the max. That's what I've concluded. Yeah, just savor the moment, whatever is in the moment, even if in the moment is intense physical pain. You know, just really enjoy it. And it's just, you know, all we got is this moment, so savor this moment and the next moment and the next moment and uh, savor it from a place of really feeling it fully rather than just thinking about it Uh, because it's a lot richer when we do it from that point. But either way, we're... Absolutely. Well, I have to say, Susan, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the broadcast, your book has pushed me over the edge in terms of embracing the holographic theory of existence. Oh, good. So that now I'm at 100% Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of understanding and accepting and watching and, you know, playing around with choices and understanding all that. And, you know, I have to say it's made a really big difference. That extra 3%, you know, going that extra bit, um, I have felt qualitatively different in the last three months since I picked up your book and since I started reading it. Yeah, it's really made a a huge difference for me, and I thank you so much for that. Uh, And uh, I really, I've been recommending it to pretty much everyone that I come into contact with who I think might be open to it. And and, uh, without limiting that, you know, and uh, I really think that it just, you know, in the world that we're living in, it creates a blueprint for, you know, incredible, uh, you know, the incredible potential that we all, we all of us have, you know, for mm-hmm. personal, for for happiness, for freedom, for peace of mind, you know, in a world where external events are given so much weight, you know, this provides a way of understanding why they're not so important, and you know, mm-hmm. a way. And I think that's a huge gift to to us today in this world. It sure is. And thank you. Thank you for finding my book or allowing my book to find you and for uh, having me on your show. I appreciate it. Uh, 
It's absolutely my pleasure, and uh, I want to thank all our listeners who tuned in today. Um, is there any uh, final words in the last few mo? Actually, we have less than a minute. Uh, you, that you, ten seconds. Uh, ten seconds. What could, <laughs> well, let me just say uh, aloha and thank you so much for being on the show, uh, Dr. Thanks. Susan Gregg, uh, author of the author of the, author of the Toltec Way. Uh, such a pleasure to have you on. Good night, Susan, good night. and good night. Good night to all our listeners. Thank you for uh, listening to Monitor Your Life. Good night. Bye-bye.